Right now, you know, look, I'm going to retire in 10, 15 years, whatever the case case may be. I'm already working on who's going to take my spot. We're working on that next generation of contractor that is coming up and doesn't even know where their future's going. Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant, and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast presented by Applied Software Great Tech Group. You're invited to join our conversation to model the future of construction innovation and the digital transformation adventure of this great industry. My guest today is Rice Elliott. He's the president of Benning Construction Company. Rice is responsible for corporate planning, risk analysis, contract review, and pre-construction management. Rice has served in almost every position from the ground up, making his experience and expertise of valuable assets to clients, trade partners, and the company as a whole. Welcome to the show, Rice. Hey, thank you very much. Glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. And, so, and, 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 and by the way, that intro was way too grandiose. Uh, <laughs> you know, if you go ahead and take my actual role and distill it down, it can be two words: head janitor. You know, it's a uh, it's one of those things where uh, you know head head janitor, chief problem solver. Uh, you know, so uh, yeah, yeah, that was that was a really nice intro, but a uh, little over the top. <laughs> well, it all has to roll down somewhere, you know. <laughs> uh, how'd you get into this industry to begin with? You, uh, you kind of worked away from the, the ground up, but what, what sparked you? What brought you into construction? You know, it, it's interesting. A lot of people who come into construction come from construction families. They're, you know, their uncle does it, their dad does it, mom does mm -hmm. it. It's their family business. Uh, that is not the case with me. Uh, graduated high school joined the army when I got out, went to Purdue University and uh, wanted to be a civil engineer. You know, Purdue's an engineering school. And after about the first semester or so, I realized civil engineering was not really for me. Uh, not, and I'm not uh, you know, being harsh on civil engineers. They do great work, but that's not what I wanted to do. Uh, was not, you know, that, that wasn't involved in actually getting the job done. And so I was talking to a buddy of mine and he goes, hey, you gotta look at uh, construction management. And so transferred over to the construction management program at Purdue. And uh, within about, uh, you know, about half a semester, I realized I had, I had found my people. And so, you know, worked all the way through, through school, got out, came south to avoid the, uh, the, uh, the weather back in uh, 94. Sorry, I had, had to think for a sec. And, uh, you know, when I, when I joined on here at Benning Construction, I was in, I was in the office for a couple of weeks. And then uh, the guy I was working with said, all right, well, you're going to the field. So went out and spent the next year out in the field, doing everything from picking up trash to laying out anchor bolts to doing whatever the superintendent told me to. And uh, just moved on from there. Yeah. What was the journey like of, of really kind of figuring out all the different facets of the construction and the, the company and then really working your way up to, to become president. Well, when you go ahead and look at the company at that point, you know, it was obviously much smaller. It was 30 years ago. Uh, you know, and the company was, you know, interestingly enough, 40 years old at that point. And so uh, when I, when, when I joined on, you know, had my construction education, you know, from Purdue and, you know, the guy I was working with said, look, uh, you've graduated from Purdue. That's great. You've got a lot of tools. You have no idea how to use them. We're going to teach you how to use those tools. So when I went to the field, 
went ahead and uh, did every job the superintendent gave me. Laborer, layout, digging, whatever the case may be. Uh, then went ahead and ran a crew for a while. He said, all right, well, you, you, you've done, done well enough on this. You got an idea. Here, I'm going to give you these two people to work with, and you're going to work with that team, and you're going to go ahead and get this done. Then uh, from there, came back into the office for a bit, uh, learned, learned for a while, got, got some more field experience, then on a, I mean, got, got more office experience, then had a, a superintendent who had to suddenly leave a job in the middle, not due to uh, leaving, but he had a health issue and we had no superintendent available. So I went out to the field and ran the rest of the job. It was, uh, you know, it was a 45,000 square foot uh, grocery store and retails and so forth. And so ran the job as superintendent. Uh, then came back into the office, uh, when it went ahead and uh, continued working through project manager. Uh, at one point, went ahead and became file clerk for a while. I worked in accounting for a while, uh, answered the phones for a bit. We still have a receptionist. Uh, and then you know, as uh, time went on, started running uh, other project managers, uh, got promoted to you know, assistant vice president, vice president. And then uh, after 30 years, wound up Years president. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. Uh, it's, it's a cool journey of the the flexibility of the construction industry. I think it's one of the uh, unique aspects of this industry that you can be very versatile in your opportunities and your your career path. One of the things that's kind of fascinating with your story as well is the the versatility between office and and field and being able to switch back and forth. You know, there's there's usually a, a uh, rivalry <laughs> between the, the office and the field. What do you think that they're, they're missing or they should, they should learn about the other side, um, to, to help maybe alleviate some of that, that, uh, tension. Well, a lot of that has to come from a lot of misunderstanding, you know, from the office side, it's the, oh, you know, yeah, I know it's, I know, uh, you know, superintendents have long days, but when it rains, they don't do anything. Uh, they get to leave at three o'clock and, you know, that's not how it is. Yeah. When, when it's raining, superintendents, he's studying the drawings and having to deal with mud and so on and so forth. And so what's interesting is we've had a couple of superintendents, young, you know, who were earlier in their careers come into the office and uh, become project managers. And on both of them, it was really interesting that, uh, you know, over the first, over the course of the first, first week, about three o'clock would roll around and they're kind of starting to pack up. I'm like, where are you going? It's like, <laughs> well, you guys, the office leave at three o'clock, don't you? Like, no, we don't <laughs> get back to work. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, it, 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 a lot of it has to do with just, uh, you know, the old walking a mile in, in, in somebody else's shoes. And so a lot of that goes down to, Hey, people uh, in the office, we, we encourage them to spend time in the field and then people in the field, uh, we often go ahead and bring them into the office. They kind of see how that, that works. And superintendents are between projects, maybe for a little bit, uh, you know, they come into the office and they study drawings or they help out with pre-construction, or maybe they help out with uh, submittals and checking shop drawings. Cause that's something that they're really good at. They understand it a lot better than the project manager often because they use it all the time. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, we, uh, 
we we really try to blur those lines quite quite, quite a bit. Uh, although they're they're still there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's important to give the exposure between both sides. I totally agree that, that most of it stems down to just misunderstanding the uh, intentions and the thoughts and really the the goals on the other side as well too. Uh, so kind of in a, a similar vein, how does Benning really approach the the development and training of, of the next generation of field workers and what's kind of the, the biggest challenges that you guys are uh, looking at in trying to cultivate the, the next generation of, of workers? The biggest challenge that we're facing right now is that there is this misconception that, you know, oh, well, if you can't do anything else, you go do construction. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that, it, that it's not a skilled trade. Look, people in construction, no matter what level that they work in, are some of the most creative and hardworking people you're ever going to meet. Because think about this. If you are in a factory setting and you're making a product, that product, that area in which you work does not change. It's, you know, it's always X temperature or the product's always going to be moving along or whatever the case may be. The construction environment changes daily. It may be hot. It may be cold. It may be wet. It may be muddy. Uh, And not only that, but your work floor is changing because you are changing it with your efforts. And so the, the, the first hurdle we have is Uh, having to get people to understand that construction is a great career and to actually look at it. And that's whether it be with a general contractor or or with a skilled tradesperson. And so we have started working with several local high schools. Uh, Fortunately, the state has gone ahead and uh, restarted what, uh, well, when I was in in high school, it's called industrial arts, but now uh, it's a, it's a, a career pathway. And so uh, a lot of the high schools are having, the construction uh, program be part of the curriculum. And so we're working with a number of those programs to uh, encourage kids to uh, hopefully give them some real world experience, but also we're figuring out how to go ahead and get those kids to want to be in construction. And one of the big things that we have to do is when we have career fairs, now I know career fairs at a high school, but you have the career fair you don't necessarily have to go ahead and sell to the high school student, but you really need to go ahead and get the parents of that student mm-hmm. to understand where it's this person has been working with uh, electrical and they've been working with wiring. And so they're going to be, they're going to go be an apprentice and they're going to develop a set of skills that uh, would be, you know, but by the time they're 20, they're going to be making, you know, making a really good wage and getting the parents to understand that so that when the kids are talking to their parents going, Hey, what do you think about this? The parents have had some time to think and they can give that feedback. Now, as far as bending construction internally, when we have uh, students or recent graduates joining the firm in the field, uh, we go ahead and identify who those kids are that really want to do something else. And, you know, the ones that go the extra mile, that put in the extra effort, that go ahead and do their task or do what they're asked to do with dedication and attention to detail. At this point, we go ahead and we put them on our ladder of opportunity. We go ahead and sign them up for classes. We pay for their classes. 
whether it's to go to class or an online class. And then we start getting them to where they're working more with the superintendent in order so that they understand what the superintendent is doing and taking those classes that, you know, using the knowledge from those classes in order to be able to interface better with the superintendent and uh, grow as that next generation of constructor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I love that you, you brought up the uh, perception gap, if you will, of the construction industry and trying to win the, the parents over. What do you see as the, the messaging that is really resonating with parents and uh, how do we kind of change the, the tide of, you're, you're exactly right, that construction is, is looked on as the kind of the, the fallback plan. And it's, uh, it's one of my biggest pet peeves that it, it is because there's so much great opportunity in construction. And I think that the people outside the industry just have a, a fundamental, uh, just utter misconception of, of what actually happens on a, a job site or in the construction industry and the technology and the innovation and just the, the sheer opportunity that's here in this industry. So what's the, the message that's, that's resonating with parents? One of the big things that we're doing with parents is to one, you, know, you can go ahead and have a video of what's going on on the job site and so on and so forth. But what we've really found works is to have a student around, you know, who is maybe 19, maybe 20. And so when we go to those career fairs, have that, have that, per, that, that person with us so that they can go ahead and relate to the parents. Yes. You know, I've been working for Benning for two years, or I've been in the industry for three years or whatever the case may be. And here's what I've mm -hmm. learned and here, here is what is out in front of me. And here's the classes I've taken. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's very similar to, uh, when I joined the army and I, uh, I, had, I had told my dad first and he was like, look, you know, tell your mother in a crowded room. That way she won't uh, make a big scene, but also tell her, you know, what your plan is. Because my plan was, you know, I joined the army, uh, do a little growing up and then go to school. That's the same message that uh, the kids are conveying is, look, I graduated high school. Yes, I'm working in construction. Yes, I'm learning. Yes, I have a path forward where I'm not going to potentially be, uh, you know, swinging a, a pickaxe all the time, or I may not always be putting pipe together. I may not always be running conduit. Uh, I may be supervising the crew that is doing that. I may move to the office, you know, that there are so many opportunities that are out there and, and, and having the person who is going through that right now convey that to the parents so they can say, Hey, see, Hey, this, this is a living, breathing example. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you boil it down to a, a, a simple kind of career path when it, coming into construction, as we mentioned, uh, at the, the beginning of the conversation, there's, there's really limitless options and, and career paths that you can go to, whether you stay in the field or you come into the office and then it opens up in a, a whole other different uh, kind of uh, branches that, that spiral off. How, how do you communicate that, that clear, simple, Hey, here's a potential career path for you. We go ahead and uh, we have it mapped out and you know, we have a written ladder of opportunity within the firm, at least, we do uh, so that if somebody starts as a laborer or a high school graduate or a an entry level from, you know, you know, maybe they have a little bit of tech school or whatever, you know, it's OK. 
if you want to, here are the steps that you will take. And it's written down, they can see it, and it's all at their pace. It's, it's not, all right, you got to be here within 12 months or we're going to fire you. You know, it's, all right, here's the steps, here's your opportunity, here's what you can do, and here's where you can go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Uh, let's pivot a bit and dive into some uh, on the technical side. So with all the, the technical advances that are happening in construction, how do you ensure that the, the next generation is not only skilled in the traditional construction methods, but also adept in, in modern techniques and, and the, the tech and the, the tools that are coming out at a very fast clip? Well, a lot of what we're doing does involve continuing education. We're always going ahead and doing continuing education, not only you know for, for our existing employees, but especially for our new hires. It's the, mm -hmm. all right, when you're first starting out, you're going to learn to work with string, chalk, and spray paint. Now, that doesn't mean you're never going to stop working with string, chalk, and spray paint, but in addition to that, all right, here is your digital theodolite that you're going to use to help with layout. Here is your total station that will help with your layout. Here is how you're going to go ahead and uh, we're going to do a demo on the uh, auto layout droid that Hewlett Packard has out that you, you plug it in and it comes out and it marks all your walls on the floor of the slab. Uh, it's going ahead and making sure that they're up to speed on the new software. Okay. All right, so can you run a schedule? Can you go ahead and run through Procore, which everybody should be able to, but you know, we're going ahead and keeping up with that. But the other side on that then comes in, how are you going to use artificial intelligence? Do you use ChatGTP? Do you use Tongle, which is the construction AI? You know, how do you use that? How do you integrate that? And uh, oftentimes, a lot of those questions, we go ahead and ask those kids and say, hey, how do you want to do this? And they're going to, and, and they may give you a response that you're not expecting. And they may have already thought about it and thought how to go ahead and use that new tech to uh, get where they need to go. And also keep in mind, a lot of what we're doing is uh, libraries, grocery stores, retail. Uh, you know, so a lot of the tech that, that we're using is not cutting edge like it would be if it's on a skyscraper or on a a bridge or a dam or something like that uh but uh you know we are we, we are keeping them up to date yeah a any advice for young individuals considering a, a career here in construction i highly encourage it construction is filled with wonderful people you will never find a harder working group of people than you will in construction and to be part of a team on a very difficult project, getting it done, turning it over is probably one of the best feelings that you're ever going to have. Uh, and it's something that uh, quite frankly, is pretty hard to express, uh, but once you've experienced, you can't wait, experienced it, you can't wait to do it again. Hey innovators, do you wanna help inspire the next generation of architects, engineers, and builders? Applied Software Great Tech Group does too. In fact, they have launched a scholarship contest and need your help spreading the word. If you know any students or teachers who could benefit from the contest, 
tell them to visit asti.com slash AEC scholarship for more information. Applied Great Tech is giving away over $1,000 to help students pursue their dreams. And we need your help to make it happen. So what are you waiting for? Let's make a difference together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I love it. Uh, I agree. <laughs> uh, so I want to pivot a bit to more of the kind of project specific stuff. So uh, I understand, you know, Benning has a, a hand in, in several remodeling and, and repurposing projects. What's the the company's philosophy when it comes to to really breathing new life into old structures? Are you kidding? It's one of my favorite things to do. Uh, you know, one of the great things about being uh, an older company, you know, De- December 3rd will be our 70th anniversary. And I do know on at a minimum one shopping center, I think two, we built it originally back in the 60s. And we have either rebuilt or remodeled them two or three times. Uh-huh. And so to see when, and you know, even if you didn't build it originally, when you go ahead and you get to this to this facility, whether it be a library or a retail center, or uh, you know a, a warehouse that they want to convert to sell storage or a theater, and it's not been taken care of, it's outdated, and you think, wow, you know this this is this is going to be a tough job, and you dig into it and you see the vision that the developer has on what they want to do. And you look at what the architect has put together and you start working together on all the challenges that come up because not everything is captured on the drawings. Every day is a brand new adventure when you're opening up that that wall. It's like, oh, I didn't expect that. <laughs> and uh, to then see how the, the the building transforms, how it, how, how it comes back to life. And then you see it be part of the community again and giving back to the community and breathing new life into an area, man, it is a great feeling. Sorry, yeah. I'm, I'm That's awesome. passionate about that. I love that. I, I love seeing it. I love seeing it. <laughs> so how do you balance the kind of the, the, the preservation of the historical features with the needs of uh, modern usability and what kind of unique challenges uh, do you know, maybe government and the historic building projects, what do they present as, as you're navigating these complexities of, you know, as you said, you, you never know what you're going to find when you open up a wall. It's, it's, a, it's a whole new adventure. Well, it's one of those things where you really need, and, and granted, we, we do this anyway. It's very important when you start a, a new project, especially with a renovation or a restoration project, to sit down with the local uh, authority having jurisdiction being the building official, the inspector, the fire marshal, everybody, and go over what you're going to do. And uh, to have that open line of communication so that when you open a wall up and there's supposed to be a column there or a pilaster and come to find out that's not the case, uh, to be able to bring the architect in, bring in the authority having juris- jurisdiction uh, who has to you know, go ahead and say, yeah, that'll work or no, that won't and have that open relationship to where you can talk through the problem and come to a solution that everybody's going to be able to live with. Uh, so it does take a certain degree of flexibility on everybody's part. And on that, we think the biggest key is communication, keeping everybody in the loop, 
uh, being very forthcoming when something maybe isn't quite right or you find something unique, uh, going ahead and uh, bringing the team together, getting the problem solved, and then moving it forward. Mm. Yeah, that relational aspect that you mentioned, I think that's a, a critical component that can sometimes get overlooked. How do you guys make sure that that stays a, a priority to, to have that uh, open relationship that, that forms trust and has that, that good communication feedback loop from all stakeholders involved? And this is where I'm going to make my first old guy comment. Uh, believe it or not, that is one of the challenges we do have with uh, some of the uh, younger, may have less experienced project managers and superintendents. When you go ahead and look at, uh, you know, maybe a little more experienced folks, hmm. we believe in, in conversations. Uh, we think that conversations and meetings are very, very important because that's how you get together in our mind and solve a problem is, like you said, developing that trust, having that conversation, mm -hmm. going and looking at that condition with a set of drawings and, all right, we can do this and this and sketching it out and getting folks to look at it and approve it. That, quite frankly, I find very, very hard to achieve over a Zoom link or over a phone call and, heaven forbid, uh, via an email volley which uh, is the bane of my existence. Yeah. So uh, is, is that part of the, the training and development aspect of it then to, to really teach those, you know, maybe more basic <laughs> communication skills and, and relational skills on, you know, let's ha have a, a conversation and, and converse instead of just doing it through, through text. Do you guys put some, some focus there to uh, kind of help? level up people we do put a lot of effort into that and uh you know part of it is i really hate to to, to see that go sometimes because you have some of these folks they've put such effort into that two and a half page email oh no it's no, too long too long i'm not gonna read that <laughs> yeah, and, and it's like it's so well crafted and ah oh, the the verbiage is great but you know what with a two-minute conversation you could have solved the problem and not spent the 20 minutes <laughs> to write this. And so uh, it's, it, it, it is a bit of a challenge when somebody gets into that type of situation where they want to go ahead and drop a text to somebody at seven o'clock at night or write the giant email or get into a four or five email volley to go ahead and pull them aside and say, Hey, you know, next time, consider looking at approaching it this way, or maybe see how that person communicates best. How did they hear what you were saying and really get them to look at it from the other person's perspective and get it to where it's asking the basic question of, okay, what, what problem is this action going to solve? And if it's not going to solve the problem, then maybe re-examine how you can do it so that you are solving the problem or, or is it achieving the result that you want? Is there, it, you know, what is the, the desired result and how do you best achieve that? So spending a lot of time on that and a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think putting it all in, in context the way you just laid out there is, is spot on. That makes a, a ton of sense. It's kind of shifting back uh, into the, uh, remodeling conversation from uh, 
environmental standpoint, what do you see as the, the benefits that, that remodeling old buildings really offers compared to, to new constructions? You know, there's the, such a, a big push for sustainability and all the, the eco-friendliness. How does, how does repurposing buildings fit into the, the broader narrative of uh, kind of green construction going on? You know, uh, I'm really torn on that. Uh, you know, on one hand, I guess it was 10, 15 years ago, I went ahead and got my lead AP accreditation before there were all the sub subsets and so forth. It was a giant class. The test was just mind numbing and uh, got it. And I, I remember when I was going through that class and when I was taking the test to get my accreditation, it was, man, there are some really great ideas here, but nobody's going to do all this because of the fact that it's just too expensive unless there is some overriding goal you're not going to be able to do it and so since then it's been really heartening for me to see all of those there's been a trickle down effect of all of those uh technologies that were birthed so to speak or thought up during the the uh, initial lead uh implementation uh leds the white tpo roofs how you're dealing with storm water and so to see those having trickled down and become mainstream and now standard practice uh, is fantastic. And I'm really, you know, I'm really happy to see that. So going, having said that from the contractor side, it's still kind of a pain sometimes, but it's now standard practice. Looking at the renovation and reuse of an existing building, what are the benefits? What aren't the benefits? You know, oftentimes you've got the existing parking area or the existing building exist, you know, everything is existing around it. So you're minimizing your potential stormwater runoff. So you're not going to get the uh, silt in the streams to impact fish spawning and, and all those keystone species that are impacted that we don't even think about half the time. You look at the amount of waste that's not generated. Now, granted, most of the steel we're using has been recycled at least three, four, five times, but to have it in place and be able to reuse it, may have to do some modification to it, but it's still there and you're not having to tear it down, make a big mess, generate dumpsters and dumpsters and dumpsters, and then just rebuild it. You know, that's, that seems very, very foolish to me. And then to boot on top of it, when we're able to go ahead and work with a property owner or a client, and you can go ahead and show, look, if you built this building new, it would cost you X dollars per square foot. Now, if we're able to cut out the cost associated with the, the walls and maybe 50% of the slab and the steel and you go through everything, you know, you're now saving X percentage of your original costs. You're able to go ahead and show that not only is there an ecological benefit, but there's a huge economic benefit as well. And it's going to shorten nine times out of 10, the construction time necessary to get the facility in operation. So then, the owner is not having to have that interest carry for the loan they took out to buy the building or if it was already existing and operational when they shut it down uh you know now they're getting it back in operation quicker so it's generating revenue or rent or whatever the case may be it, it's to me it is a win-win-win all the way around mm -hmm. again sorry i love the I'm very excited. Uh, it's good stuff. Uh, I, I love the logical and the, the fact-based uh, approach to that of, no, this makes common sense. Let's just be reasonable and logical about this and 
let's go do it. I, I love that. Uh, what do you see? How do you envision the the, the future of, of bidding construction and uh, how does that kind of influence your approach to, to projects? The future of Benning is always changing. You know, we, we, we started out 70 years ago building grocery stores and movie theaters, and we built a lot of other stuff along the way. You know, 70 years later, we're still building a bunch of grocery stores. We are still doing, believe it or not, the occasional movie theater. They're starting to come back. And, uh, but, but also, we build libraries. We build fitness facilities, new parking decks, fire stations, all those things. It's, it's, it's going and looking at how the community is evolving and changing and how we fit with the community, because, uh, that is the one thing that we always keep in mind is how are we interfacing with the community? How do we work with the community to improve it, to improve the experience? You know, even though we're not developing the property, we're bringing something to the community that is going to be a benefit. And so as we move forward, uh, the biggest thing that we're really working on right now goes back to your earlier question on an earlier discussion topic on how are we bringing those new people into the industry? Right now, you know, look, I'm gonna retire in 10, 15 years, whatever the case, case may be. I'm already working on who's gonna take my spot. We're working on that next generation of contractor that is coming up and doesn't even know where their future's going and working on how to go ahead and bring them along in the legacy that is Benning Construction to continue that on and to continue bringing benefit to the community and providing this wonderful opportunity for the hundred families that are associated with, with, with the company and giving those families a future and the stability that they need. It's a, it's a great vision. Uh, it's a part of the kind of evolving nature of things is, is around innovation. It's one of the kind of core tenets of what we talk about on, on bridging the gap. What does innovation mean to you? Innovation to us. And, uh, and I know you're going to say, you're going to think, wow, this is going to be, you're using the self-repairing concrete that's being developed over in Sweden, which actually, by the way, if you haven't researched it, it's really cool. Super expensive, but really cool. Um, Todd, I'm sorry. I love my work. I really do. <laughs> I love it. It's every awesome. Every day. <laughs> it is know, really cool stuff. <laughs> I, get, I get up at 4 a.m. every morning, and I am, you know, every day I love to come to work. But. Going back, I get up 4 a.m., but that's because my kids are waking me up. So that's uh, it's not as exciting. (laughs) Where do you have teenagers? They don't get up until a lot later. (laughs) Perfect, perfect. But one of the things that we are really focusing on right now in terms of innovation is how do we make our project teams more efficient? How do we shore up? the shortcomings in our current industry where we have crew leads on our trade partners, mechanical, electrical, framing, who maybe aren't where they need to be in skill set or time and leadership planning. How do we go ahead 
and get our projects to run efficiently? How do we bring everybody together at the same time and get it so everybody can win? You know, that, that, that is our big challenge right now where we're really working to innovate is taking away that you work for me. Yeah, okay, you know what? There may be a contract there and you're right, but we don't get there alone. Nobody gets there alone. And it's how do we go ahead and say, all right, we're going to get here as a team and we're going to build this together. You need some help. Great. We're going to give that to you and getting people to get past that barrier of not asking for help, not seeing how they can help that person and, uh, and being able to move the project forward efficiently to where we get done and everybody wins. Uh, in terms of, you know, I guess, technological innovation or uh, anything like like that, we're probably going to be a little behind the curve. Sorry. Uh, like I said, we're not uh, we're not we're not building the uh, skyscrapers. We're building the grocery stores and the, and, and the, uh, the libraries. Hey, nothing to, to say sorry about. I think was in construction, the most innovative thing that you can do and that's sad but it's it's, it's uh kind of the the really on the more radical side of things is exactly what you're you're doing as the the mindset shift of crowdsourcing and getting more collaborative and, and having those one percent uh improvements that that creates this huge exponential uh growth in the long run but taking the time to be intentional about that that collaboration yes. it, that's huge and that's going to be that's going to lead to way more uh innovative outcomes in the end than just trying to chase the, the, the cool new, sexy yeah. technological innovation. And, uh, you have no idea how hard it is for me not to go ahead and chase that because deep, deep down in my little heart, you know, yeah, I, I love those new shiny toys. It's one of those things where it's, it's like, Ooh, that's neat. <laughs> so, yeah. But you got to get to a place where it's will be effective and, and make an impact on yes. the the culture at large and have people ready to really embrace it. Um, if you implement it too early, then you, you cause more harm, frankly, than than the benefit of the the tech. So, yeah, um, I, I love technology as much as the next guy, but I think you got to be you got to be strategic in when you implement tech and, and what tech you implement when. Um, yeah, you got to be very very intentional about that. Well, how do people find out more information about Benning and, and connect with you? Well, uh, always through our website, www.benningcc.com. Uh, and uh, as far as where we're located, we are in the same place we've been the last 40 years on Atlanta Road, just inside 285. Uh, you know, we're, we're, not, uh, we're not overly sexy, but darn it, we're steady. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Uh, well, last question for you. If I could give you all power and you could snap your fingers and innovate one thing in the construction industry, what would you pick to innovate? Ooh, that's a good one. If I could get every single person on the job site to love the job as much as I do, then that would be outstanding. And the reason I say that is this one, it makes you a lot happier if you like your work. 
Two, when you like your work, you're passionate about what you're doing, then everything you're doing doesn't flow from a compliance standpoint. It flows from a cultural standpoint. It flows from where you want to be. So it's, it's not, oh, I got to fix that scaffolding because OSHA requires it. It's no, I got to make sure that scaffolds right so that nobody gets hurt and that everybody goes home at the end of the day. It's not the, oh, I got to make sure I get that, that, that cut straight. So that boss doesn't yell at me. It's like, no, I'm getting this cut straight because I have pride in my work. And I, this, this is a reflection of me. I love so, that answer. Sorry, that uh, uh, may not be the answer you were you were looking for, but it's the best I got. No, it's a great one. It's a great one. I, I, I love it. I think your your passion for sure totally shines through as well, and is is very contagious. So that's that's a great one. If more people had the even half the the passion and the the zeal for it, I think the industry would be a lot farther along on a whole host of fronts. So that's that's amazing. Yeah, great answer. Thanks for the the conversation. I I tried to to not go down too many rabbit trails. There were so many good paths that I could pick. Uh, really enjoyed talking <laughs> with you, <laughs> well, Todd. Thank you, and uh, you know it's been great to be here. And um, have a good day. Now it's time for my Todd takes from this episode. Before I get into my takes as well, I hope you got as much out of this episode as I did. It was really hard to narrow it down to just three takes, but here we go. First take, as we look towards recruiting the next generation, it's vital to present a vision of career growth. The construction industry brims with potential opportunities in nearly limitless directions. It's our responsibility to highlight this narrating a compelling story of longevity and advancement that shows the vast possibilities within the sector. Second take, central to our success is good communication, an aspect too often overlooked, yet fundamental in building trust among partners, stakeholders, and within our teams. It forms the heartbeat and foundation of all our interactions, whether in the office or in the field. Through intentional time investment and clear, effective communication, we lay the groundwork for thriving, successful relationships. And final take, innovation stems from cultivating a collaborative teamwork environment where the focus is on generating continual 1% improvements. This approach is the cornerstone for achieving transformational success in the long run, fostering an atmosphere where every small enhancement contributes to the larger picture of innovation and progress. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software Great Tech Group at asti.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining the conversation to model the future on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is hosted, directed, and produced by Todd Wyant, edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an Applied Software Great Tech Group production. Copyright Applied Software Great Tech Group 2023.